Welcome to another episode of Ghibli Jabber. I'm Nick and I'm here with Trevor. On each episode of Ghibli Jabber, we discuss one of the works of Japanese film studio Studio Ghibli through the eyes of a fan, that's me, and a newbie, that's Trevor. This week we're discussing Goro Miyazaki's 2006 film Tales from Earthsea. Based on elements from Ursula K. Le Guin's Earthsea series, this film follows a wizard and a runaway prince who join forces to defeat an evil foe whose quest for immortality could destroy Earthsea. This film was released right after Hayao Miyazaki's Howl's Moving Castle, another adaptation of an English-language fantasy novel. Trevor, how do you think Goro's approach to this sort of material fares compared to his daddy? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, his daddy. Um, I think that he kind of took... I think I find it interesting that his first film that he's done is an adaptation, which was kind of like his father. He did, you know, Lupin the Third, which was like an adaptation of this work that wasn't his. And so um, that felt very in a similar vein. Um, <clears throat> in terms of the whole entire movie, though, when I think of uh, even Miyazaki's second film, which was Nausicaa, uh, and, it, and that one felt like such a an epic fantasy um, not unlike what this film was trying to go towards. I feel like this one did not hit the mark in terms of how I felt seeing that, I guess, second Miyazaki film that was more of an epic and on a grander scale and felt like he had more of his artistic print on it. This one just didn't hit the mark for me and for various reasons. Why don't you go into those reasons? Yeah, let's do that. So... Let's do it. Let's hop right in. There feels like this film is wanting to do a lot of things. It feels very disjointed to me. Um, and then th- that, I mean, I always afterwards look up the film after I've watched it. And that became very apparent to me that that made a lot of sense why this felt disjointed. The fact that he was trying to add elements from four different books into one movie. And I immediately was like, oh my God, that makes complete sense. Because I feel like there's a lot of, really intense underlying things happening with certain characters that feel like they could have been flushed out way more. And I'm not getting an understanding of that throughout the film, whether that be through, Oh, I'm going to put the names in like the Sparrowhawk or Aaron or, uh, is it uh, Teru? Teru? I think so. Uh, and, yeah. Teru the girl. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And yeah, there's just, it immediately feels like there's too much going on presenting way too many potential plot lines that could go somewhere interesting. And I feel like it's trying to set up an epic story. And I just don't feel like the payoff was what I wanted it to be. How do you feel? It's funny that you say it feels like it's trying to do sort of too many things and it's not sort of, it doesn't develop any of those threads satisfactorily, but why is that the word in in any satisfying way? (laughs) Um, (laughs) You know, when you say a word, it's like, is that a word? Um, But and I know what you mean, because I do feel like there are definitely elements that could be fleshed out more. But at the same time, like my my f- immediate thought after watching this was that nothing really happened. Nothing Not happened. Things weren't fleshed out. But the plot itself, the plot that it allows us to sort of connect with, which is there are these two people and then there's like an evil person and then at the, at the end they, they do battle. It's so empty. It, the, it, the film just feels really empty when you're finished. Very slow. Not a lot happens. The one plot that they kind of do follow loosely isn't very satisfying in the in terms of the action that goes along with it. Not much, there's not much happening. 
And because we've seen it before a million times better in many different ways. This is the Lord of the Rings. This is Star Wars. This is, dare I even say, Harry Potter with the magic. Mm -hmm. Like, we have seen this story and elements of the story in grand epic fantasy tales a million times before. And this one just feels like a big rehash of a lot of those things. And it goes absolutely nowhere because it feels like it should be four to six movies in one. And it's picking out little bits and pieces that should be crucial elements of, of certain films and goes nowhere with them. Yeah. Like I feel this is sort of the opposite of um, House Moving Castle in that way, which has like lots of different elements. Um, but that film feels overstuffed in like, in not necessarily a bad way. It feels like mm-hmm. there's so many things. We're seeing lots of different parts of this world. Here it's like they go from one world, like from one land kind of, to another land like within the first 10 minutes and they kind of sit there and then they spend a lot of time on a farm just like you know just farming. in a pastoral settings and get, know, the, exactly. and get the beautiful things in and, and then they're like oh maybe there's like a castle next door or something and then they go to the castle. <laughs> like there's it's like so much less eventful than house moving castle and so much less interesting because of it i mean they're obviously i mean i don't I haven't read either of the source materials. I assume they're, they're quite different in tone and things like that. But even so, this definitely doesn't feel like an adaptation that's trying to do too many things. It's it's doing too few things and not very well. So it just, it, it feels like a failure to me on almost all fronts. And I agree with you. Actually, I like, I like what you said there because maybe you said it a little bit better than I did, is it does too few things to the things that it has presented to it. Like it has so much source material. The fact that he's pulling from four different, what are they? I think they're books. I don't, regardless. Yes, they're novels. So he's, he's pulling from four different novels yet. The film has feels like it's not doing anything with any of the things that he's pulling from those novels. And so it just goes back to being like, sometimes more isn't better. And that's exactly what this film feels like is, is that, he may have thought that he was pulling out the coolest parts, quote unquote, from these books and putting them into one grand epic, quote unquote, film. And when in reality, it just kind of really falls flat. It's kind of, it's funny because I, I, I want to I say it's, it's spectacle over other aspects, but it's really not because it's not even that exciting and nothing really happens until the end. And like, the cover of the film has a dragon on it and you see dragons like two, three times tops in the film for like maybe, maybe five minutes of total screen time. And I'm just so absolutely bored the rest of it. I pressed pause on this film probably 10 times to see how much more I had to go with it because I was so bored. Yeah. And it's not even a short movie. It's like, it's not, it's, 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 it's getting up to two hours. But yeah, I mean, just like to make the last point point on that, it's it feels like it's a short story that they stretched out to two hours, as opposed to four novels which they squashed into one feature length movie. So it's yeah, it's so dull. I mean, my, <laughs> I mean, this is the second time me watching it. I watched it once years and years ago. So this is basically me watching it. Oh wait, um, so you've only seen it one time. Yeah, years ago. So this is kind of a new um, experience for me as well. Were you, were you dreading this one? <laughs> I wasn't looking forward to it, that's for sure. Because <laughs> I have so little memory of it. And it turns out 
that's because so little happens that they basically remembered a lot of the plot um <laughs> but it's just so spare and look this is my my main issue mm-hmm. is that i know you know you like to talk about the hero's journey a lot because that's mm-hmm. like the backbone of a lot of especially fantasy type um stories yes. but for basically every character no matter who you if you consider aaron or you consider sparrowhawk the hero i mean again it's not really clear they, i don't know if they're from different books or anyway none of them really have any none of them go on a journey because none of them really have any goals or any destination in mind like versus say ashitaka um who is someone who is sort of cursed and then goes on a journey to find out why he's cursed and to fix it mm-hmm. aaron is sort of in a similar situation he's not really cursed so to speak but he had he's carrying like a burden but then he's like he doesn't we don't know his plan to fix it we don't really know what he's doing he like he runs away but he has no real goals to help himself he doesn't he's not trying to go to a certain place to get help he's not trying to kill someone right. he's just like escapes and then he gets sort of caught up in this thing like and sparrowhawk as well we're not he's just someone who wanders around that's kind of part yeah, of like, his character but we don't know what and he didn't really even know the cop like, was there like yeah, exactly sorry not interrupt but like he didn't even know no, the cop was ahead. there he was like he went and what he was buying that thing and then that guy was like selling him that thing he's like oh cops here and he's this hmm. and then he tries to explain to him who cop is and i'm like but you didn't know he was here like yeah exactly to your point I'm like you're just wandering around yet you're what is your point yeah and because of that there's absolutely no like narrative thrust it just kind of they just happen to be in the same town as this evil villain. And even like, we, we kind of understand what the villain wants to do, but we don't really understand the villain's backstory at all. Well, why the villain wants to involve anyone else. Like why, why Aaron was sort of sought out to be like a helper kind of thing. Cause it turns out there's nothing really special about Aaron. I don't think I couldn't work out. I couldn't work out his significance in the world. Unlike say Teru, who is apparently some weird magical dragon again, doesn't, not explained at all, right? Um, that we don't understand Aaron's place in Cobb's plan, except maybe that Cobb doesn't like Sparrowhawk and Cobb saw Aaron with Sparrowhawk and is using Aaron to get Sparrowhawk to come over. But then Cobb wasn't even like looking for Sparrowhawk. Sparrowhawk just happened exactly. to wander into that. So it's oh, it's just so badly done. And I'm surprised that like the, the studio, who usually has a fairly high quality, would let it be released, to be honest. Right. in its current form so yeah that's that's my thought on that it's pretty, and it was it was yeah. released on my birthday and it was not a good film wow you're <laughs> young uh, <laughs> not my birth day but you know what i mean well that speaks a lot both underwhelming um i hate you not a lot going on underdeveloped kind I of hate you. you're um, the worst. Kisses. um well, I mean, we kind of already talked about it a little bit, but what did you think of the characters? Um, very flat for me. Uh, oh, shoot. Oh, in it, this is something I had written down my notes. Um, and it kind of goes along with the characters, and I'll build upon it. But essentially, I feel like we're just getting to the point where, even though I don't want to compare this to a lot of the Studio Ghibli films, mm. um, it, 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 there's definitely some, th- some thematic things going on here. Um, this idea of like things like evil taking over you. And like, there was this one line that I felt like was one of the most just 
terribly generic, badly written lines. And it just wasn't utilized well in the scene. It could have been good, but it was so bad. Is when uh, Aaron's looking at uh, Teru and, and he says, darkness cannot exist without life. And I just wanted to throw up. And I just kept being like, I get that that is a, uh, that's a trope, especially within fantasy. Because it's always like this fight between good and evil. But I'm just, I'm starting to get super bored. And I'm and I'm just curious from your perspective as a fan, obviously you had years between seeing these films. Maybe you didn't because obviously you're not as, I mean, you're younger, but are you getting bored with like the same darkness fighting light thing that we're getting, we're just rehashing over and over and over and over again. in a lot of these, these films, especially the last Um, few that we've seen. No, I mean, that's not the reason I don't like this movie, I suppose. Because that's kind of, like you said, that's sort of the bread and butter of a lot of these narratives. In this movie, that's that's kind of the thesis statement. Well, I mean, it's sort of about, you know, some of the plots would say this is about sort of the imbalance in this world. That's kind of what it's about. There's like light sort of being overtaken dark. by dark. And I I enjoyed, like there's one line where um, Cobb is sort of, I think Sparrowhawk's basically saying, you're going to upset the balance. And then Cobb is like, we already did that. Like men have already um, destroyed the balance between light and dark. And I'm like, oh, that's that's kind of a nice line. It's kind of, um, like a very sort of cynical way to sort of read the world. But that sort of, yeah, that sort of light and dark. And then obviously the idea of sort of life and death and the, you know, life has meaning because we die kind of thing, which is that that's kind of the thesis of the, um, the movie. That is what annoys me because that's basically said, like 300 times in the last half an hour. I'm like, we it understand is. that that's what you're trying to say. We understand you can have one person saying it once, but then every character says it like over and over again for the last half an hour. That's what was boring me. Um, but in terms of, you know, light versus dark, I understand that that sort of comes along with these sort of things. So that doesn't, does. that doesn't bore me too much. And I, I think it's, it's touched on in different ways um, throughout the sort of Studio Ghibli filmography. Um, but here it's it more of that. Um... No, it, it is. And I guess I come from it this, from the standpoint is if, if I was such a big fan and I kept, and it, you know, they don't release films every year. They release a film every couple of years. And if I was like waiting in between these films, maybe uh, enough time would, would go by that it would be a palate cleanser for me. And then I wouldn't expect it. But if I just kept retreading kind of the same thematic idea over and over again in just different ways, slightly different ways, but kind of the same characters doing it, I guess I'd start to become bored after a couple of decades of it. And I know, I think- well, and as somebody who's watching the back, back to back to back to back though, that I have a different perspective because I didn't watch mm-hmm. it over a long period of time. But that's the only reason why I asked you because you watched this, you know, growing up. And so you probably watched a lot of these films in sequential order. I mean, not sequential order, but like, with not a lot of time between them. And I'm just curious. I don't know. I guess I'm just, especially the last uh, few films we've watched, I'm just like clamoring for a different plot point other than like good versus evil. Even though the cat returns was good versus evil. And it was just in like a very childish way. Yeah. I mean, I would say by virtue of Studio Ghibli doing a lot of sort of fantasy stories that 
that is bound to come up and I, I don't I don't look at it being like, oh, this again. I kind of assume that's what the plot is going to be about. Like if I was to read Lord of the Rings and there was no like evil, I'm like, oh, they're just like chilling. Like, <laughs> but I but think not all Studio Ghibli Ghibli's films are like this. So like Grave of the Fireflies was not like that. My Neighbor Totoro was not like that. Even Kiki's Delivery Service wasn't really like good versus evil. I guess no, there were a lot of these sort of high fantasy that kind of tends to be. But I guess um, then you're missing my, well, I mean, I'm not trying to be combative, but I guess you're missing my question is, is that in the beginning, I wasn't like, I wasn't set up to think that every film was going to be like that, but it just feels like the last few have been like that. Like this one has, House Moving Castle has, The Cat Returns has, um, Spirited Away a little bit, but not as much. But it's like, that's like this whole decade so far. And I'm just like, if I was somebody going to watch these films in a decade, and I'd be like, come on, Studio Ghibli, like, Give me something else. Give me something that was challenging, like Grave of the Fireflies. Or give me something like Only Yesterday, which was beyond convention for an, an animated piece of work. I guess that's sure. what I mean. Okay. Because I, I, I don't necessarily watch these and think that's not what sort of sticks with me when I watch these. But again, I'm not watching them for the first time quite so quickly. And I, I would say that normally I think Studio Ghibli does pretty well to make that good versus evil a little bit more ambiguous and something super generic. Um, like usually the, the villains are given more shades of um, gray and same with the That's heroes. Uh, in, I mean, yes, we've watched, I guess now cat returns, which very generic, not, not nothing um, complex or ambiguous in that. And then this one, I would say the same by two sort of lesser storytellers than, I think Miyazaki and Takahata is just the way that sort of the sequencing has come. But I would say from like the next few, I don't think follow that same trajectory. Yeah. So. Yeah. <laughs> I did want to like touch on Aaron, him just like killing his father and then just leave. I, I just didn't really get him. And then, hmm. and then it was just in the end and he was like, well, I better go fess up to my crimes. And like, okay, dude, like, Bye. You kind of already touched on it. Like, what? I didn't really get it. Yeah. And we don't really have... There's not a good sense throughout the movie of what is haunting him exactly. Like, A, why he did this in the first place. We kind of find out. And then B, what that sort of... And then again, we find out what that sort of spirit doppelganger um, represents. And we find out, oh, it's Twist. That's like maybe his good version or something, the good part of himself that he left behind when he, for some reason, decided to kill his dad. But like I was saying before, like we're not really along on any journey with him because we don't really understand throughout the movie. There aren't enough crumbs to understand why he did what he did, what he's running away from, what he's running towards, um, and, and what what, he's, I, what he actually sort of wants from his life. It's very, meh. And Sparrowhawk is another one who... Again, we don't really know what he wants. In the end, he does very little because apparently his powers don't work in that castle, so he can't do any of his wonderful magic. He's supposed to be like the most powerful magician. Yeah. He does very, very little magic. He like he loosens some chains. Like that's kind of the extent of his abilities. Yeah, pushes a wolf away or whatever. Like yeah, exactly. <laughs> like yeah, and yeah, Cobb just like stands around in a castle and it's like yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna open this door. Or something like what? And what, what was, what was he trying to do at the end? Like, <laughs> I, I thought he might have been trying to open a portal between, like, like going up on top and, of the thing. 
But that's not even made particularly clear because it looks like it was already sort of going crazy, like something was about to happen. And then did sunset, did sunrise kill him? Like it was very, very strange. So so much sort of left unsaid, not to mention, of course, all the the weird dragon stuff, which isn't really explained in any real way. And I kind of enjoyed the um, gender fluidness of Cobb. I'm like, that's a woman, right? And then, yeah. Yeah. um, then very androgynous referred to as a lord yeah i'm like oh okay yeah interesting and i didn't really get anything else out of it except for the fact that it's, it's nice that he's sort of playing with those sort of things i don't know every character is very boring and very serious there's, there's not enough sort of liveliness like there's there's like the one scene where like the two there are these like two sort of townswomen who come to get potions from um mm-hmm. what's her name like ten, a tenor, tenor, yeah, and they're kind of like fun and sassy for like a few seconds, but they feel like out of a completely different story, like a story where they try to have sort of fun side characters. This one, there are no other ones. All the right. other characters in the world are very serious and very boring and have no interest. It seems so. Yeah, there's not not a lot to connect with. And and what was okay? I have to bring this up only because you know I, I live in Salt Lake City. Mormon land, but the whispering of the real names, like that's like a very Mormon thing, which I immediately was like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, like in Mormon culture or in the Mormon faith, not even the culture in the Mormon faith, like you have like a spirit name and you're supposed to only tell your like spouse, your spirit name so that when you die, that you can whisper each other's names and find each other in the afterlife. And so there was like this whole thing in this movie about like the real name and the whispering of it to each other. And I was just kind of blown out about it, especially like knowing Mormons. <laughs> I mean, potentially the Did you know that? Mormon. Um, no, not really. <laughs> not I'm not as well-versed in the Mormon faith as you are. <laughs> not a lot of people are, that's for sure. Well, why don't we talk about um, the visuals? Because we haven't really discussed that so much yet. How do you think this compares to previous movies? Um, I'm just going to say I'm, I, it wasn't so great that it exceeded expectations and it wasn't so bad that it made me angry. I will say that there was one aspect of it that I was like, uh, all their clothing was so boring. Which I'm like, I don't know. I need to go back and like, were, is everyone's clothing always super boring in Miyazaki films? But I just, that one just really stood out to me. Like there was no detail to any of their clothing, mostly. Mm-hmm. Maybe some of the soldiers, maybe, but that's pretty much it. Like any other time, it was just kind of like very, very cloaky moments. And I don't know. It just felt, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Lazy to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I, you kind of get a bit of a sense that maybe the world he's trying to create here is one that's a little bit more muted than say the worlds in Howl's Moving Castle where everything's sort of candy colored and sort of opulent and lush. But even then it, you can definitely sense it's a lot less detailed. Like the landscapes aren't as well, even like, yeah, even the landscapes, which don't need to be colorful and things like that. Just, they're just not as well textured. They're not as detailed. The buildings are not, yeah, again, not as detailed. The character animation is not as interesting the Most character of the animations are not very in- generic looking. Oh yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like I, they all look the same almost to me at certain points. 
I did have a note saying, is Sparrowhawk hot? What, what are your thoughts on this? Wait, who was that? I don't even remember who that is. Sparrowhawk, like the main character. Oh, I heard something else. Sorry, it's your weird accent. It's not. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, the, uh, the, he does have a, like, a particularly defined square jaw, so I could understand if somebody found him to be kind of attractive. That's plus three points for me. Um, <laughs> no, that was just that was an aside. But yeah, I think the animation generally is very um, like there's the the sequence early on with sort of the wolves, the action sequence. It just feels very. It's supposed to be sort of like cool and um, sort of flowy, but it feels very choppy almost. Like the wolves are just sort of like darting around in the background. It doesn't feel as um, smoothly done as something the Miyazaki would do it just feels very and I, I, he doesn't have as good a visual sense as um Miyazaki you can tell that his instincts aren't a are pretty poor and for pacing as well it's very slow and the sand it had like from no scene texture. to scene and within the scene sorry go on no sorry I interrupted you but I was just saying like to piggyback on what you said it was like the sand like the sand had no texture it was all like one color and it was flat and they were like yeah. running across this one flat piece of angled dune. sand the, yeah, yeah dune that had no texture to it yeah and you can that's what you need to do you, you, you know you look at one scene and you think what would Miyazaki do with this and you can you know that it'd be more dynamic um visually than what's done here even like there's the really there's a quite nice scene where he's gone out to find Taro in the field that Aaron has and she's like singing her song and it's like a, it's a beautiful song but it's a very long scene and the visuals that go along with it are very pedestrian. Like it could have, it could have been like a beautiful magical sequence of her singing this beautiful song, and there's, you know, cuts to you know beautiful sunrise in the field. Like it does that, but it just instead of being sort of magical, it feels really boring and dull. And I'm like, oh, she's still singing. Oh god. Um, like part of me loves that scene, and part of me is like, do more with it. And that's true of the whole movie, I think. What did you think of that scene? Um, it kind of reminded me of, um, I don't even know why, but in Nas- Nausicaa when she's like remembering her young self, the flashback, yeah. Kind of that, but yeah, I agree. It was not that exciting. But then I was, you know, reading reviews afterwards and everyone was like, I just love that song so much. <laughs> oh, really? Mm. Yeah, I think people like the song a lot, but yeah. It didn't do much. It's a pretty me. song, but it's not, yeah, they don't do enough with that moment, which could have, I mean, I guess there's something to say about the stillness of the scene, but you can have stillness and still and be a little bit more dynamic. Think. At least have her, have her hair like blowing in the wind or something. I don't know. Do something. <laughs> don't just have her sitting and staring <laughs> in the distance. Uh, check. Yeah, and there's like, Note to self, you love hair blowing in the wind. Note to yeah, self. do something. Something that indicates that the world is alive, you know. <laughs> There's a lot of it. It takes a lot of the um, that sort of CG push in thing, which Miyazaki tried to sort of do a lot of in sort of Mononoke and Spirited Away. But to the result isn't isn't worth sort of the effort of those. There's just lots of like camera sort of moving in quickly towards something, and it's very rarely used well. Versus, say, in Mononoke, when you sort of see it for the first time when San is sort of running towards um, Lady Eboshi and it's sort of very, it's it's amping up the action and sort of explodes on impact. This one is just like, 
oh, look, let's look down the road. And the camera zooms off down the road and then like it cuts. I'm like, okay, it, he just thinks it's cool and it doesn't sort of lend lend itself to improving the sort of the flow of the story. Yeah, it's very, it's not used very well. Agreed. And like my first point was that like the animation looks like it's sort of Avatar, The Last Airbender. Have you ever watched that? I have. A little bit. I just, don't. Not a lot. It just feels very sort of, I mean, and I, apparently I've, I've, never, I've never really watched that series, but it, people love it. But it feels very sort of TV animation kind of, mm-hmm. like the quality of it. And yeah, mostly like the character design and like the details and the textures. It's very like, it's just not enough. It's not Ghibli quality. So I will say I liked the, um, I liked his playing with reflections. Like even in the palace, when they were like walking up, there was a lot of like the animation being reflected in like the very, very shiny floors. And Mm. I loved it. Like, I just thought it was very cool. I don't feel like I've seen that in any of these films done quite as well. I feel like it was done very well. And I mean, to jump into favorite shots and sequences, my favorite shot. Yeah. Yeah. My favorite shot was when they had like climbed to the top of like the arch pillar castle thing. And, um, yeah, Cobb was standing on the other side with uh, Teru, and just the reflection of the sky and the sun's the sun is rising and or yeah, sun is rising, and it's like or is it sun setting? Doesn't rising, matter. I think that's part of the. Yeah. Um, there we go. The sun is rising, and um, anywho, just like the light reflecting off of like the very I don't know if the 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 stone is wet or if it's just very very slick and shiny, but I thought it was like super super beautiful. So I liked mm. that part. What's your favorite sequence? Probably the first time when Aaron's kind of like breaking and he's trying to kind of like sing himself and he's having like that, like the hazy, like nightmarish dream sequence. And Uh, he sort of turns into like an evil monster. Like correct. Yeah. Like exactly. Like I thought that, I mean, like that was super, I've seen it done a million times. We kind of touched on this, but it was very much like, seen that in star wars when luke skywalker like chops his own head off and it, he's in his dad's helmet kind of thing like it, it's very like this like uh, there's evil within me there's a bad part of me mm-hmm. what have you and i'm like okay cool i get it but i still like the sequence yeah requires some sort of at- atmospheric sort of visual design and mm-hmm. pacing and things like that i thought that that those scenes worked um pretty well as well um, my favorite shot, it's probably at the beginning. It's just a very quick shot during the sort of dragon fight, which again, not explain how that relates to the story at all. Um, but they're sort of like fighting each other and then they're sort of falling through the sky towards the ocean and sort of, you can sort of see the clouds part and there's like sort of the blue ocean below. It's just a pretty, it's a pretty and sort of, it's a shot where lots of things are happening and it's sort of dy- dynamically animated to the extent that you don't really see that much later on in the film. You can see, like, they put a lot of effort into that. And then the rest was kind of really there. I think the movie starts in a semi-promising way. And it just sort of gets slower and slower. And, and we realise there's less and less of these characters. Like, I think that scene... And my favourite shot might even be, like... Or my favourite sequence might even be... If not that scene, then... I kind of like the scene where he kills his dad. Like, it's sort of... Again, there's, like, a good sense of pacing. And that's where sort of the slower pace sort of works because like the king is sort of walking down the aisle and he sort of hears um down like the corridor and he hears something and then you sort of see him 
the sun sort of running and like that kind of is like oh this is interesting this is going to be the main character we see him killing his father like that kind of that piques your interest it's like oh well surely they're going to examine why he did this throughout the movie that's going to be the main driver of the movie and the main driver is going to be like why is he cursed what's wrong with the world of course that's not not really important at all it kind of is very tangential to the what the narrative ends up being but I can't, yeah, I like the, I like that scene and I like sort of the general opening as well. But again, like not that much, like not that much. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> oh, and the, the, the shot where they, they go to um, Hort Town for the first time is pretty nice. Just like the establishing shot of the town above the cliff kind of, mm-hmm. and sort of pulls out. It's like, wow, okay, someone has done, gone to some effort. <laughs> that's kind of, that's all I can really say about it. Well, <laughs> let, let's get to ratings, I guess, unless you have any more. More, nope. anything more to say yeah. um so what did you give it shall i guess your score yeah i guess three? Oh god you're much worse than i was i'd give it a four <laughs> much worse it's one point yeah but you're usually pretty on do you have anything more to say about why you gave it a four um cliff notes version essentially i don't care for the things i typically care for a character the plot was very thin the spectacle wasn't very good. Um, the animation wasn't horrendous, and that may be its only redeeming quality. What do you think I gave it? Um, I think that you gave it a... Oh, gosh. You're, like, usually not that, that harsh. A six. I gave it a five. Oh, um, wow! Is this your absolute least favorite? It's it's the lowest score, and I'm, I'm definitely not going to give anything lower than that. Um, wow! It's so boring. Like, okay, on the three criteria that I usually... Like, more, of, more terrible than ocean waves? Well, I prefer that kind of narrative generally. Um, <laughs> and I, I could I could get more from that. And plus, it's 72 minutes. This is, like, you know, 115 minutes. So it, it, it made it worse. The, the boringness was amplified by an extra 40, 40 minutes or whatever. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, yeah, like I was saying, the, the three criteria that I usually arrange my thoughts around a film on... Um, the characters, the storytelling, and the visuals were all very poorly done. Like, there, there's no element of this movie that I really enjoyed or that redeemed the other ones. It's not like the visuals were so stunning that it didn't matter if the plot was boring or the characters um, weren't engaging. It's like, oh, well, at least I could enjoy living in this universe and it was beautifully done. I'm like, yeah, no, I couldn't no. even really do that. And same, it wasn't like the characters were so interesting that um, the poor, like, the, the generic animation sort of didn't really matter that much. I'm like, no, none of it was firing on all cylinders. So yeah, that's probably, that's my lowest score. And I'm trying to think of the next ones, but I don't, I don't think I, there are ones that I likely less than this in ocean waves. So wow, they hit my bottom. I, I feel bad for the, the author of the books that this was adapted from. Yeah. I'm sure she's fine. Yeah. I mean, I don't think she, she loved this. I, I vaguely looked at something and she was like, Oh, it's all right. She was trying to be like, it's just sad. Like, yeah. Anyhow. Yeah, this is like the, the main, you know, if some of the Studio Ghibli was adapting my novel, I'd be like, oh, God, that's amazing. Yeah. And then, oh, not this. Um, did you have any connections you wanted to discuss it? I know we discuss a lot of this film in re- relation to the other, especially Miyazaki films, but did you have any other notes on connections? No, other than just this good versus evil or like this evil within you, like kind mm. of, Thing we've been seeing a lot of lately, but other than that, no. How about you? I had a couple of notes, um, like very minor things, but 
like you, you mentioned sort of the whispering name thing and you connected it to Mormonism, but it sort of reminds me of the power <laughs> of Chihiro's name in Spirited Away and how she's not to, how she forgets her name and how she sort of loses mm-hmm. herself because of it. It's very, and similar to like the scene in Spirited Away where she says to Haku, oh, you're the Chuhaku River or whatever it is. And then he turns into a, the opposite of what happens here. He goes from a dragon into his human self. And then in this movie, he says, oh, this is your name. And then she turns into a dragon or whatever. Uh-huh. Like it, it's very, um, it's very similar on that level. And obviously the power of, you know, knowing yourself and your true self and what happens when that's sort of taken away from you by greed or, um, you know, the negative forces of the world or whatever. That's, um, that's a sort of similar theme. Uh, my, my only other point was that like the weird horse that he has looks a bit like you're cool in Princess Mononoke, like the the deer or whatever that Ashitaka has. Oh, yeah. They're quite similar looking animals. They call it a horse in the subtitles, but it's not a horse. It's like a weird <laughs> alpaca or something. <laughs> it is like an alpaca. Um, if anyone else has any feedback on this week's episode or any other previous episodes, you can send it to ghiblyjabber at gmail.com and we can discuss it in a future episode if you so choose to send that in. Um, so I guess I'll talk to you next time, Trevor, when we discuss 2008's Ponyo. See you then. Bye.